give everybody a reminder as well, today and uh, is Life Group Day, and so if you would like to um, meet, if you don't have a Life Group and you'd like to share lunch and just share a discussion on the lesson this morning uh, with the group, there's plenty to meet with. There's, In fact, you can smell it right now, there's a group that will meet here afterwards, and you're welcome to stick around for lunch, or my house, or a few other places around, and it's just a great place to get across the table from people and share the message of God in a great uh, context of fellowship. Now, we've been going through the uh, God's love story, Genesis through Revelation, beginning of scriptures through the end, and we'll finish up in May and then we'll change up. But last week we spent some time talking about the last week of Jesus's life, how he comes into Jerusalem and he goes and he starts teaching in the temple and these religious leaders that are supposed to know more than everybody else and be the examples for everybody else, turns out that they have a lot of things that they're not willing to reflect on themselves. Now, they're excited about teaching everybody else, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But when Jesus says, well, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what about you and this sin in your life? Their response instead of, boy, I should reflect on that. Boy, you're right, I repent. Their response is, mm, let's kill him. That's not okay. We're not okay with him saying that sort of thing to us. And it turns into quite a mess, and it's been building for a while. Jesus spends the last... Um, night of his life on earth before he's executed with his disciples participating in the Lord's Supper. Um, and that is the Jewish Passover festival that they have. And Jesus passes around just what we did here just a minute ago, passes around the bread and says, this is my body, take this to remember me. And he takes the, the wine or the grape juice and says, take this, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's why we continue to participate in those. And last week we talked about how Jesus has never asked us to do anything that he hasn't led and done himself first. And so whatever we have to give up in this life in order to follow Jesus, whatever pride we have to swallow, whatever sins we have to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to follow Jesus. Even though I really want to do this, I'm going to do what God tells me to instead. When we make that decision... It's not anything more than Jesus didn't do himself. He walked through this life, and Scripture says that he was tempted just like every one of us. So the temptations that you have experienced, that you have have felt in your own soul, in your own flesh, Jesus experienced those, but the difference was Jesus was without sin. And so he walks through life like that in in. As a result, what does he give? In fact, uh, George did a great job teaching the adult class, tremendous class, about what happens in examples that of people that have been punished that later turned out to be not guilty. Jesus is the ultimate example of that. He goes through, gives us this perfect example of life, this tremendous example for us to follow, and as a result, mankind did what? Killed him, right. Yeah, that's what you get for doing everything right, for doing the right things. That's just the way it works uh, within our sinful nature. But fortunately, that isn't the end of the story. Um, I was thinking this week, you know, we've had a, um, some, a lot of babies be born here the last little bit, and I just remember um, when we found out that Sarah was on the way, um, how excited I was to share that message with other people. In fact, sometimes, I think I've shared this before, even before we agreed that it was we were far enough along to share that, um, I remember talking with people thinking, oh, I'm going to do it. I know I'm going to do it. I'm so excited about this. I can't help it. I'm just going to share this because I'm so excited that this is happening. 
Whenever something exciting happens in our lives that really truly hits us in the heart, we can't help but but share that and talk about it. You know, if your if your team wins the Super Bowl, if your team wins tomorrow night, um, who is it? North Carolina and Kansas. Okay, if your team wins tomorrow night, you're probably going to be really excited to tell everybody about it, right? If you have something, if you get a job promotion at work that you're really excited about, what's going to happen? You start telling people about it. That's how we're wired. If there's something that we're really excited about, it, we can't help but just let it just gush and flow out of our hearts and out of our mouths. And so what we're going to see is, and you know the story, if you're sitting here almost, almost positively, you know the story of what happens next, is Jesus um, is executed, he is put in this tomb. And there are some questions about whether Jesus' disciples are going to try to steal his body and, and try to make this fake resurrection happen. So the Jews go to the governor, Pilate, the Roman governor, and say, we need to, you know, this is what's going to happen. You need to be ready for this. So what Pilate does is he seals the tomb and puts a detachment of Roman legionaries around that. These are some of the nastiest fighting soldiers at the time. And they would have put mortar around the tomb, put a, when it says that the scripture says the tomb was sealed, what that entailed is putting some leather straps that are in that mortar there with a seal saying basically Caesar himself guarantees that this will not be messed with. And there would have been at least 16 Roman soldiers that are there that would have been, uh, some of them would have been standing guard right in front of the tomb, some of them would have been sleeping, they would have gone in rotations patrolling. Not something you can just walk in and steal a body. But after a few days, what happens? The first day of the week, there's some of the ladies that had spent some time with Jesus. Go up and what they're going to do is they're going to place some perfume, spices around the tomb to keep the smell down. And they head up there, and something strange happens. As they get there, the stone in front of the tomb is rolled away, and there's all sorts of things. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four accounts of this, there's all sorts of details. When you put it together, it's basically what happens is there's some angels that come down, terrify these Roman legionaries. Now, just imagine, these battle-hardened troops that aren't afraid of anything, angel comes down and terrifies them. And they, it says they turned white and they shook and became like dead men. Rolls the stone away and these ladies get there and Jesus isn't in the tomb. There's no body there. And they walk around and they think, what on earth is going on? What's happening here? Some of the disciples uh, are, 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 you know, they've scattered at this point in time. But Jesus appears to these ladies and says, hey, What's happening? And they are afraid, they're scared, they're confused, all of that. Some of them run back to town. Some of the disciples come back and they witness this empty tomb that is there. This is a different type of resurrection than someone being healed like Lazarus. In uh, John chapter 11, he's healed, he's brought back to life, but Lazarus eventually is going to die again. And this is different in that Jesus, being God himself, is able to unlock the door to the realm of the dead and just walk out, never to die again. Now, we see that this didn't just happen with just a few people uh, that were witnesses. In fact, this is what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read part of this here. And there's a lot more material, and I'll give you some resources. The very last slide on your handout has some resources that you can continue to read and continue to go deeper with this discussion. 
But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay, that's the gospel message right there, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles. These are apostles with a little a, not the twelve apostles, but those that were designated to be sent out. It means That's what apostle means, those that are sent out. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul is reminding the Corinthians here as he's writing to them. He said, there's something that you really need to get your head and heart around about this message that we're living out right now. And he goes on to say, apparently, that some have, have said, well, the resurrection doesn't really happen. It's not, it's not real. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, time out. This is a deal breaker right here. Because if we don't believe that the dead are raised or that Jesus really did raise himself, then we are to be pitied among all people because this is ridiculous that we should be following Jesus if he didn't really raise from the dead. In fact, and he quotes a scripture, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We might as well party it up because there's nothing worth living for or there's no reason to follow Jesus if Jesus himself did not actually physically raise from the dead. And so we're left 2,000 years later with this question. Is this account right here, and the accounts that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are these real or is this fiction? Is this something that really happened that should change our lives, or is Jesus just one good teacher that we can put on, on the shelf with a bunch of others that we can take a little bit here, we can take a little bit here, and we kind of give and take and, and uh, just decide what we want to do? But if Jesus raised from the dead, that changes stuff because... It's a proof of what he said he was, God himself walking on earth among us. And so there's a lot of stuff if a person desires and a person wants to go back and look, starting with Scripture. You have all these accounts of people saying that they saw Jesus alive after he was dead. Now, if you take some time and you go look at uh, the, just the historical accuracy of the New Testament. There's a ton of material out there that helps us understand that what we read in the New Testament is accurate. There's all sorts of things that we read in history books about Julius Caesar or Augustus Caesar or people from that time period that there may be eight or there may be six different accounts of, of their life of, or of different things that they did at different times that we count as good history because it comes from that time. And some of the copies that we have are hundreds of years afterwards. What's amazing about the New Testament is from antiquity or from way back, there's around 24,000 copies of the New Testament, some of them 25 years after the apostles would have lived. Amazing amount of historical documentation that we have saying this is what happened. But we can go beyond that. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named Flavius Josephus? I've mentioned him a few times. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He is considered tremendous history, a good historian. He was a, 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 a Jewish uh, commander, actually, in northern Israel. And when, uh, 
uh, when the uh, or, or Galilee up in that area, is what it was called at that point in time, when the Romans came down and they were going to destroy Jerusalem, Josephus gave up. He said, all right, I can't stand against the Romans. This is not going to work. And he, the Romans took a liking to him, and they allowed him to write the history of the Jews and financed it because they wanted to know, what, what's this history there? And so Josephus wrote down centuries of good history about what was happening during the times uh, leading up to the times that he lived in, and which was he was born about the time that Jesus died. So very close proximity there. This is something he has to say about the time when uh, leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And he says, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these things, ten, and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. Something that I appreciate about this uh, quote right here from uh, Josephus' works is that Josephus himself, as far as we know, never became a follower of Jesus. What he's doing is just stating history, and some of this he can't explain. What he's writing is, if you're going to look at this time of history, what you've got to understand is this Jesus guy, and these are the facts that are stated about him. History, there it is. Take it or leave it. Wrestle with it. And so I read that, and I think, boy, there's something to this. There's something to this Jesus guy coming out of the grave, being raised to life again. We go to, uh, if we fast forward a little bit, it's what Jesus does uh, he goes and he appears, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, to his disciples, and they go and meet up with him. And he gives them some instructions about what they're supposed to do next. Because that would leave us all hanging, wouldn't it? If Jesus raised from the dead, and then the disciples are wandering around thinking, what are we supposed to do next? Now what? This guy raised from the dead. Ah, let's, let's see what we're supposed to do next. If you turn to Matthew 28, this is what Jesus says, and what it, this is in the context of him being lifted up, being taken up into heaven, and being transformed to live in eternity. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's your mission. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So in other words, now it's your job. I fulfilled my role on this earth. I became a sacrifice, died for the sins of people, and I've raised never to die again, and now it's your turn. Your job is to be my hands and feet and to tell people about this great message now. Go out into all the world and share the good news with them. This is great stuff. Teach people to be like me. And what happens is we turn to the next, uh, uh, in the book of Acts, and it starts with what happens after Jesus raises from the dead. And there is a time um, where the, these disciples of Jesus spend some time in Jerusalem there. doesn't take long, and another Jewish festival rolls around, the festival of Pentecost. And this is a festival that's happy. This is kind of the week-long camping trip sort of thing where people uh, just uh, right after they've brought some of the crops in, they get together and they just have a blast and have a great time together. That's 
You read about Pentecost, you know, fun festival to participate in. And so as people are coming to Jerusalem, and as a, a professor told me once, Jerusalem at this point in time had about 5,000 people that lived there on a regular basis. And during the big festivals, whether it be Passover or Pentecost, the number of people there would swell to about 100,000 people. So there's people camping in fields. There's people all over the place, just this, just packed, and people coming and going from the temple. And during this time, what happens, and Jesus has told them, just wait, because the Holy Spirit that you've seen in the Old Testament, you've seen work in me, is going to come. Be ready, because it's going to be amazing. And it says that the disciples are all there together, and it appears what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and descends in tongues of fire, so little candles of fire, something like that, and rest above the apostles there. And they go out among the people. And remember, the Jews have been scattered all over the place. We talked about that. There's synagogues here, there, and everywhere. And a lot of them do not speak Aramaic anymore. And what happens is all of a sudden, when they come back, they're having to you know, try to figure out how to interact with each other at the temple. They don't speak the same language. Here you have Peter and the others come out there, and they're speaking in all of these different languages. And if you count the number of languages that are there, there's more languages than there are people speaking, it appears. So something miraculous and amazing is happening here. Can you imagine, how many of you have ever heard the gospel being spoken to you through a translator? In other words, somebody is speaking a different language, and you're hearing the message of God through a translator. Yeah, few of us have. If you live in other countries, you hear it a whole lot more. Um, some of you have actually my father-in-law has preached here before years ago and I translated uh, from Italian yeah so you you experience it just imagine somebody that has never studied these foreign languages all of a sudden gets up and is able to speak the in these words that you've never wait a minute he's speaking language in the message of God in my own language Something I learned when I went to language school in Italy was if you want to make money, you can speak English and most Italians will understand you. But if you want a girlfriend, you have to be able to speak Italian. No, they didn't say that exactly. I'm just I'm making that up because you know, it worked for me. Now, what they said was, but if you want to touch people's hearts, you have to speak the language of their heart. And so you see what God is doing here is he has empowered all of these different people there to be able to speak these different languages so that people coming from all over the world can hear the message of God in their heart language, the language that they learned from the cradle and growing up. And they're hearing the message of God there. And Peter gets up among them and says, here's here's what you need to know. Okay, This is what's happening. The prophet Joel talked about hundreds of years ago that the Holy Spirit would descend and people would be able to be empowered by him. And you know this Jesus, whom we've talked about, whom you know about, whom all these things happened here just a a little while ago, not even two months ago. What you need to know about him is just like David, King David, um, was a great leader for us, Jesus himself is even more so. And he speaks about some of the prophecies that David shared through the Psalms and says, this Jesus, whom you crucified... God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now think about that. The people that are there that are listening, they have spent their entire lives waiting for this 
great king to come. They have learned about him in synagogue growing up. They've learned about how their people had been so involved in all this idolatry that God had sent them into slavery to discipline them, but how God has never given up. And they've heard all of these stories, and someday waiting, maybe will I will live in the time where this king is born, where I can be part of this great kingdom that the prophets talk about. I can be a part of something wonderful and great. Isn't that going to be amazing if that can happen? And Peter tells them, it did happen. The good news happened already, and your response was to put him on trial and kill him. You ever been cut to the heart about something and you realized, oh man, I did that and I created all that havoc and I don't know how to undo it. It says the people were cut to the heart and cried out, what should we do? And Peter, and this is a passage, we love this one. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the message he shares. And this isn't just for you, the people that are there listening as these people are coming in and out of the temple. This isn't just for you, but this is for your children, for your children's children, all who are far off. God's going to be calling people for generations into this great kingdom. And... uh, you know what he tells them to do? Repent. Change your hearts and minds. Instead of running towards sin, you run away from sin. I want to get away from that. I want, I want to be done with that. And be baptized. Submit to God in baptism. There were uh, ceremonial washing pools all around the temple there. And so those apparently got repurposed and they used them for baptism right there at that point in time. So people are baptized, every one of you, and the sins are forgiven and washed away. Now, if we could have seen physically those sins, there would have been some dirt in those pools, right? You can imagine these people and understand, putting myself in their shoes, what they would have been so excited about is the Holy Spirit that that dwelt among David, that dwelt among all these Moses, among all these great people of faith in the past that holy spirit can now dwell among me and the pathway to god has been opened up get me in that water as soon as possible because i can't wait to be a part of this kingdom that's wonderful with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation well i'm glad we don't have to share that right now because our generation is not corrupt right oh man This is true of every generation. Our sinful nature somehow always gets a hold of us there. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And again, the story doesn't stop here. We're going to continue in this here next week. But look at what it says about what this kingdom looked like. Okay? Because what the Jews had expected was this great military kingdom that would kick Rome out, that they would be able to have this wonderful physical kingdom there in Judea again. That's what it was going to be. But what you're going to see, as Jesus' words talked about, and as the apostles continue to talk about, that now this kingdom is different. This kingdom is very different than what you may be anticipating, because this is a kingdom of the heart. There's not going to be a boundary or a border over here. There's not going to be a boundary or border over here. But this is going to be made up of people that have their hearts committed to me. It's a boundary you can't see with your eyes. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Think about this. People were so excited about what they had received right here that they're willing to sell property, sell all sorts of stuff. Hey, we can sell this piece of property because I want people that are here to be taken care of. God will sort that out later. I'm just so excited about this kingdom, about this community, that I will give up whatever I need to to keep this going. He says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So it appears what they're doing is they're participating in Lord's Supper in their homes. Now, there's more discussion to this because they probably would have been persecuted a lot more severely if they would have been in the temple participating in Lord's Supper. I don't think that would have been tolerated. But what they're doing in the temple is they're going in the temple, walking around in those big the temple grounds there saying, hey, have you heard about the message of Jesus? You need to hear about this because he is the king that's going to come. Can I please introduce you to this great kingdom that he has established? These people are great. They're wonderful. They, they demonstrate love and forgiveness to each other. They don't, they don't act like our religious leaders do. They're different. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at this wonderful, amazing community that is so different than what we see here at the temple. Amazing, awesome, beautiful. I think about that is, I think for all of us, um, We've got a few choices here, and I'm going to read part of John chapter 21 here in just a minute. Let's think about this. This is, man, I just, I get goosebumps, I get chills down my spine whenever I think about this, what happens there at Pentecost. This great, wonderful community that is, as it goes along, it's going to be open to absolutely everybody, no matter what their background is, no matter where they come from, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their gender is, just come on in. And what we're going to do is we're going to encourage one another to leave that sinful nature behind, live in repentance, and launch into eternity together. Like I've talked about here a while back, the difference between there's that, that if, we're, if we're just saying, I'm going to become a Christian so I can go to heaven, but I don't anticipate change and transformation right now, we're missing so much. Because all that destruction that God is just, or that, that Satan has brought into the world through our, our sinful nature, when we follow Christ, we reverse it. We're part of the solution. And everything starts to change in the community that we're a part of. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what things are supposed to look like. So look at John 21. I want us to, to read through this. And uh, we did some reading as a family here this last week. And I, re- I read this, and boy, it just. It just impacted me, and I pray that it does for you as well. John chapter 21. And you remember Peter, the story of Peter? We didn't talk about it, but Peter has said, Hey, uh, you will at Life Group. This is what life, life Group lesson is going to be about. I will follow you to the end, Jesus. I am all in. And, Peter, and Jesus says, Really, Peter? You think that you're going to follow me no matter what happens? Oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm totally in. Peter, before the rooster crows three times tomorrow morning, you're going to, be, you're going to uh, disown me. And something I found is that uh, roosters don't just crow first thing in the morning, do they? They sound off whenever they want to, whenever ple- you know pleases them. And so there Peter is throughout the night, just hours later, he's denying Jesus. After Jesus raises from the dead, 
He has this conversation with Peter, starting in chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And they're on the side of the Sea of Galilee there. And I imagine Jesus took Peter off to the side. And, and he looks at Peter, looks him in the eyes, says, Simon, do you love me more than these? And there's the rest of the disciples, other people walking around. Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know, Peter's heart is hurting right here because he knows why. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked him three times, are you sure, Peter? Do you really love me? Are you really in here? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. You know, his heart's hurting right now. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And you can imagine Jesus turning and looking Peter straight in the eyes, maybe grabbing him by the shoulders and saying, very truly I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, you can imagine Jesus looking in his eyes, he says, follow me. This interaction, uh, I've thought about it every day this week, because each one of us uh, finds ourselves in this situation. Uh, if you haven't committed your life to Christ yet, somewhere, somehow, Jesus is calling you right now, saying, do you really love me? Will you come and follow me? Yes, there's going to be costs. Yes, Peter, I understand, Peter. There's going to be a time where you're going to be led away, where you're going to suffer for my name. But I just did that, Peter. Hey, I've been there. I've done that. I know what is going to be expected of you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's a promise he gave. But just come and follow me, Peter. And if we've made that decision already to follow Christ, we have to make that decision over and over again like Peter did. Peter had already decided to follow Christ. He'd already said, yes, you are the Christ, the Son of God. I'm giving my life to you. But he fell short. But you see what Jesus does. Jesus circles back around. says, Peter, do you really love me? Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Come and follow me. This is a a message that continues to echo into our hearts and souls, I hope, is that every one of us, day in, day out, Jesus is calling, say, you really love me, then come follow me. Whatever you have to give up, whatever you have to suffer for, whatever you have to change, it is worth every bit of it. But just come and follow me. And I pray that those words touch your heart and soul this week as well, that you will recommit your heart and soul to God and come and follow him. If you'd like to have prayers of the church, or you'd like uh, to, um, to be baptized today and become part of this great kingdom that continues to go forward, you're welcome to head to the back. Let's stand and sing together.
got to turn my mic on too. Is it on? Can you hear me? Okay. One more slide. There we go. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies.